Well, I'm sure that you've heard the last few days many, many times, Happy New Year. And so I'd come back and this morning say once again, Happy New Year. We're beginning a new year. And you've heard me mention many times that, uh, in fact, just about a year ago, when I was here uh, to speak, uh, I mentioned that every year I have chosen, since I was just a young fellow, a verse of Scripture, because that was my parents, they impressed upon us children, Find a verse of scripture and it's your year verse. And so I go back and, and there's all the different years and the verses and it's, it's a thrill to go back and to turn to those verses and then begin to realize what did I do or what happened that that verse became a reality. Last year, my verse or 19, maybe 2006, my verse was over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Well, I looked for a verse for this year. I thought maybe I had one then. As I was thinking of speaking this morning, I thought, what about speaking on your year verse for this year? And so my year verse for this year, 2007, is found over in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12. Just the first part. And it says, all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God. And I want to talk to you about that particular verse and the ones associated with it. And as we turn to Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, let's just bow for prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for your many blessings. We thank you, Father, that today we live in a country that we have freedom. We could come together just to worship you without being molested. And I thank you, Lord, for our freedom We have come this morning to hear the message that you have for us. I ask that you hide me behind the cross of Christ and help me to lift up Jesus, knowing if he be lifted up, he will draw people to himself. And so I ask, speak to us through your word. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a little blonde girl, Jenny, five years old. She was excited that day because she was going to go shopping with her mother. And uh, as they did their shopping and they were standing in line at the checkout counter, all of a sudden she saw it. It was a little pink box, and in the pink box was a strand of pearls. And it caught her eye, and she fell in love with it, and she said, Oh, Mommy, can I have it? Please get it for me. The mother stood there for a while, and and then she picked up that little box. She turned it over, and it said $1.98. But, Mommy, can I have it? And the mother waited for a little bit, and then she said, Jenny, I'll get it for you, but I want you to pay for it. If I buy it for you, I'm going to give you extra chores so you can pay for it yourself. It was agreed. They were checked out. They went home, and and little Jenny, she ran to her room, and she got her piggy bank. And she opened it up, and she dumped all the change out onto the bed, and she counted it out. Yes, 17 cents. But she did the chores. But, oh, she loved her pearls. She wore them around the house. She wore them when she went out playing. She wore them to school. The only time she took them off was when she took a bath and. Or when she went swimming, 
She was always wearing the pearls. And she said, well, Mommy, they make me feel so dressed up. Well, it was their custom that when Jenny went to bed in the evening, after she was in her bed, her father would come in and sit down beside her and read her a story. And one night as he had finished the story, he closed the book. And then he looked at Jenny and he said, Jenny, do you love me? She said, oh, Daddy, you know I love you. Well, then, Jenny, will you give me your pearls? And she said, oh, no, Daddy, not my pearls. You can have my my favorite white horse in my collection. You know that white horse that has a pink tail? But Daddy said, that's okay, Jenny. But Daddy loves you, and he kissed her goodnight. A couple of weeks went by, and again, as he had finished the story, he closed the book, and he said, Jenny, do you love me? And she said, Daddy, you know I love you. Well, then, Jenny, will you give me your pearls? And she said, oh, no, not my pearls, Daddy. You can have my new doll. You know the one I just got, got for my birthday? And you can even have the yellow blanket that goes with her sleeper. Well, that's okay, Jenny. I love you. And he kissed her goodnight. A few days, nights later, he came back to her bedroom. And as he came in, she was sitting on her bed, cross-legged in Indian style. And, and he noticed that she was very sober. And as he came closer, there was a little tear running down across her cheek. And he said, Jenny, what's the problem? What's happened? She looked up to him with a closed fist, and she looked at her daddy, and with a quivering voice, she said, Daddy, you can have them, and there were her pearls. And that father back, fought back the tears as he reached out to take those paste pearls. But at the same time, he reached in his other pocket, and he took out a blue velvet case, And he handed it to Jenny. And when she opened it, it was a strand of genuine pearls. As I read the story, I thought, that is so much like our God. How he wants us to give up the paste world, the things that soon fade away. And he wants to give us Jesus. And so as we cross the threshold of a new world, our God is saying, my friend, if you'll take my son, the Lord Jesus, I'll give you four things that last throughout eternity. And those four things are found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Listen to them as I read. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write my God's name on them. And they will be citizens in the city of God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And they will have a new name inscribed upon them. Now, there are four things that God said, I will give to you as you take Jesus Christ. There is a new name. There are new victories. There's a new home. There is new occupation, a new name. I have a a little stamp in my office. It says, the property of Paul W. Bergren. So when I buy a new book, I can stamp it. It's mine. When we went home to my wife's folks some time ago, and 
They're living on the farm. And I walked out to the corral. And then I was told that all the branding is done. Every cow, every calf is marked with that big letter B. It expressed ownership. And so, friends, so it is with the redeemed. As you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there's written on you the name of God. You have been sealed, branded, if you please, by the Holy Spirit. That signifies that you're no longer your own. You have been bought with a prize. That little baby that was born on Christmas morn. And it was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. That little baby is the creator of this great universe. Our Lord Jesus has the world, this universe, in his hands. He made it. And the Bible tells us that he is the adhesive glue that keeps it all together. He keeps it from falling all apart. But it also says, the Bible tells us in John, although he made the worlds, the world didn't recognize him when he came. What a tragedy. When Jesus came on that Christmas morning into a world that he had created, they didn't even know him. And then we read in John 1.10, these potent words, He came into his own, and his own received him not. Now, so many times we read that, and we just pass over it. But you know, it's a tremendous statement in the Greek language. For in the Greek language, there are words that have a different meaning according to to their gender. And we have this word, he came to his own, and his own received him not. Those two word owns. Do not mean the same. He came into his own. That's in the the neuter gender. And it really means he came to his own things, his own place, his own house. And his own received him not. That word own is in the masculine gender. It means his own associates, his own relatives, his own family. So actually, if you read it from the Greek language, that verse reads something like this. He came into his own universe, which he had created, and his own family, his own people did not know him. But don't stop reading. The next verse goes on to say, but as many as received him, to them he gave the authority to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. The Bible is telling us to become a child of God, we must believe. Not just the facts and have them settled in our mind, but it must go down to the heart. The facts are true. We believe them. That Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea. That Christ walked among men for 30 years and he was tempted just like you and I are tempted. He was taken and crucified on a Roman cross for our sins. He was taken from that cross and he was buried. But on the third day, he arose again. And then 40 days later, he ascended to his father, which is in heaven. Those are the facts. But believing these facts with your mind does not make you a Christian. The Bible says that even the devils believe and tremble. 
believe what John is talking about goes down into the heart. It implies a trust. Those who put their trust in him, to them is given the authority to become a child of God. You see, my dear people, there are two sides of becoming a child of God. There is the human side and there is the spiritual side. The human side of becoming a Christian, a child of God, is that you must put your trust in Christ. That's something we can do. We put our trust in him. There are many who believe all the facts, but have never put their trust in Christ. And so what the Bible is telling us, first of all, in verse 12, he who puts their trust in Christ. That's the human side. But then the next verse gives to us the spiritual side. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, you and I are here today. We have entered the world by physical birth. I'm part of the Berggren family. You're part of the Anderson family or the Thompson family or the, the Smith family. We're a part of some physical family. But now it comes to the side. If we're going to be part of God's family, we also must be born by the spirit. That's the reason that Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus had all the facts. He was a ruler of the Jews. He knew the law. But all the facts had not gotten down into his heart where he trusted in the Lord Jesus. And when he met the Lord Jesus, Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. For to be a child of God, it's not by blood. That is, it's not because our parents or Christians, or, or that we grew up in a Christian home, or a Christian nation. It just doesn't run in our veins. It's not by the will of the flesh. You cannot work yourself into it. You cannot turn over a new leaf. You cannot do just all the right things, nor by the will of man. No one else can do it for you. No bishop, no priest, no pastor, no parent, no friend, no creed. Only God can do it. To become a child of God, the Bible says it's a gift. Not of works, lest any man should boast. To become a child of God, my dear people, you must receive the gift, God's Son. And as we put our trust in him, we become a part of God's family. And God says at that moment, I will write upon him my new name. It was interesting. <clears throat> Bob, he had stopped at a garage sale. And uh, he made his way past all the tables with all the stuff on it for sale. And finally he came to the end of the tables. And now he was at the end of the garage. And he was ready to make his exit. As he turned around, he noticed against the wall was an old bike. It was covered over with an old tablecloth and an old blanket, and it wasn't part of the sale. But he stood and he looked at that old bike, and he turned to the man of the house, and he said, Is that bike for sale? Well, the man stood there for a moment, and he thought, and he said, Well, 
I'll tell you, my wife said everything's got to go. So I guess yes, it's for sale. Well, what do you want for it? And the fellow looked at the old bike for a while and he said, man, it doesn't even run. The engine is is froze up and and you probably can can go buy a new bike for what it's going to cost you to fix up this old thing. But what do you want for it? And again, the fellow stood there and he looked and he thought, well, you know, I can take it over to the junkyard and they'll probably give me thirty five dollars for iron. What about thirty five bucks? And now the other gentleman looked at the old bike and he thought, what will my wife say if I bring that thing home? But he said, you know, it had potential. Maybe I can polish it up if I don't look right. Well, I can maybe sell some of the parts. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you $35 for it. So he took it home. A few days later, he called the Harley Davidson company and he gave them the serial number of that old bike. And he said, I need this part and that part and that part. And the parts man said, well, just wait a minute. And so he put him on hold. And pretty soon the, the parts man came back and and he said, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, could you give me your name and your address and your phone number? And, and then uh, I'll call you a little later. So he did and they hung up. Then Bob began to think, was that bike stolen? Am I in trouble? Are the police already on the way? What did I get myself into? And he sweated for about three or four days. And then all of a sudden, one day, the telephone rang. And it was Harley-Davidson Company. It was one of the administrators, and and, uh, he was very friendly. And pretty soon he said, uh, Bob... Don't hang up on me, but will you do me a favor? Will you go out to that old bike and will you lift the seat and see if there's anything written on it? And so Bob said, well, what's going on? That's all right. Just just come back and tell me. Well, Bob got a screwdriver and he went out and he loosened the seat, lifted it up. And there's nothing on it except the king. And uh, so he went back in and he said, there's nothing on there, but but just says the king. Then there was a long silence, and the parts or the administrator of the Harley-Davidson company said, You know, Bob, my boss just authorized me to give you $300,000 for that bike. Payable immediately. What do you say? Do we have a deal? Bob almost fainted, and he said, Well, I'm going to have to think that over. And they hung up. The next day, Bob got a call from Jay Leno, that late night television host. Jay said, Bob, I've got a a thing about Harley Davidson's and I'll give you $500,000 for that bike. Now, Bob was wondering what this all about. You see, Bob didn't realize that the words on the bottom of that seat, the king, was none other than Elvis Presley. The serial number and the name under that seat left no doubt that that bike had belonged to Elvis. The value of that motorcycle 
Was it in the metal or the parts? It didn't even run. The value of the bike was all tied up in the fact that it had been owned by the king. And there were people who were willing to pay a ransom for the privilege of saying, I own Elvis Presley's motorcycle. When Bob bought that bike, he didn't know its value. It was just a rusty old bike in a garage. But he learned that ownership meant everything. Folks, what gives you and me a sense of worth and significance is that we belong to God. I belong to God. I've been to Calvary. And there at the cross, I confess my sin. I was forgiven. Now God owns me. And he gave me a new name. Oh, I wished I could sing. Don't worry, I'm not going to try right now. But I'd like to to sing that old song. In the book tis written, saved by grace. Oh, the joy that floods my soul. Now I am forgiven and I know by his blood I have been made whole. For there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. With my sins forgiven, I'm bound for heaven, never more to roam. I wonder, my friends, is your name written down in heaven? You believe all the facts, but have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus? And if you've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus... You can do that right now as I'm speaking. And in your heart, you can simply say, Lord Jesus, I've sinned. Forgive me. Come into my life. And you not only have a new name, but the Bible tells me you'll have new victories. For the text tells us, he that overcometh, will I write upon him my new name. I'm thinking of Gideon. As it's recorded for us in the book of Judges, chapter 6. And Gideon, you know, a farm kid. He and his family were hiding because the Midianites had come in and they were invading the land. And and Gideon and his family were hiding. And Gideon, during the darkness of the night, would slip out and he would slither through the darkness out into his own field. He'd gather over some bundles of grain. He'd take them down into the valley by the wine press. While he's down in the valley, in the daytime, he would thrash out the grain so the family would have something to eat. And while he was threshing out the grain one day, the Lord came upon him and said, Gideon, I want you to go out and drive the Midianites out of the land of Israel. Gideon looked up and said, oh, God, not me. I'm a nobody. I'm the least in my family. And God said, Gideon, go and I'll go with you. And Gideon left that threshing floor. He went out and he rounded up 300 men. And they went against that great army of the Midianites. And he drove them out of the land. And God gave them the victory. You see, my friends, the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Oh, I wish that every one of us this morning, as we begin a new year, could say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it's Christ 
that's living within me. In other words, on the cross, I am in him. In life, he is in me. And I can do all things to Christ that liveth in me. I'm thinking of a young man, and perhaps you've heard his testimony. David Ring. He, was a, he had several palsy. It was difficult for him to talk, difficult to, to speak and walk. But he gave his heart to Jesus. And after a short time, he felt the call into the ministry. And those who knew him said, David, you can't go in the ministry. You can hardly speak, and it's hard for you to walk. You'll probably never marry. You'll never have a family. But David felt that call of the Lord in his heart, and and he prepared. Today, David Ring is an evangelist. It takes him a while to preach, but when he speaks, the Spirit of God flows through him. He married a beautiful young lady. They have three little children. And in this inspiration one night, David was asked to give his testimony. And as he was asked to stand and give his testimony, he, the master of ceremony said, just say something about five minutes. And David stood and he said, folks, I can't hardly say my name in five minutes. But he gave a short testimony. And then he said, can I sing my testimony? Now, he wasn't a singer. But the music began to play softly. And he began to say the words. I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life at Calvary to save a wretch like me. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. We have a new name. There are new victories. But oh, I like this one. He gives us a new home. To him that overcometh, I will write upon him the name of my God and the city of my God. There are those who tell us that that heaven is just a state of mind or a condition. But that cannot be true. My home on old Crystal Bay Road is not just a state or condition. It's a home. Wyzetta is not just a state of mind or condition. Wyzetta is a place on the Minnesota map. Now, friends, listen carefully. Heaven is a place. And Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And I'm going to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. The Bible tells us that heaven is the home of God. It's the dwelling place of Jesus. And now this truth is brought out in the book of Acts. How that in that book of Acts, it tells how that the church was being persecuted. These dear Christian people were scattered. And here was Stephen, a man full of faith. 
and the people couldn't put up with it. And they dragged him out of the city. They backed him against the wall. And they begin to stone him to death. And while those eyes begin to swell shut, and perhaps those stones were cutting his body, and that body is becoming weaker and weaker, and as he, he drops to the dust beneath his feet, he said he looked up and he saw Jesus standing At the right hand of God. Friends, it will not be the golden streets and it will not be the gates of pearl that will make heaven so attractive. It will be home. Home in the presence of Christ. Home with our loved ones who have loved Jesus. Oh, I've mentioned many times and I was thinking about it this week, you know, as you grow older, you begin to reminisce. But I've mentioned many times how that in our home after breakfast we would have devotions where my father would read the scripture and he would pray with his children. And mother went to be with the Lord when we were just so young. And so as we'd have those devotional times, it turned so many times to heaven. And we kids would say, Dad, what's heaven like? To me, we never got ice cream when I was a little boy. And I, I know I used to say, Dad, will there be ice cream in heaven? And my dad would say, Son, there'll be ice cream in heaven. You can have all you want. Heaven. We begin to talk about heaven. As I grew older, I went off to college, went to seminary, and now I was leaving to to be a pastor of a church full-time. And I went out to Keene, Nebraska. Then I went into evangelism, and I was asked to go to Alwood Free Church, just north of Black Duck, Minnesota. And as I was in meetings in the dead of winter, early one morning I got a call from my brother Jim. And Jim said, Paul, Dad went to be with the Lord today. My heart was broken, but I said, Jim, I'll be home as quick as I can. And I talked to the people of the church, and they released me. And I began to drive across the countryside on that cold winter morning. The tears were running across my cheeks. It's always hard to say goodbye. But then all of a sudden, in the coldness of that day, and through the tears, I begin to think how exciting it must have been for my father. He closed his eyes from that weakened body that he had, and he opened them, and he founded heaven. He saw the Lord whom he loved. He saw his wife, my mother. He saw my brother, my sisters. What a reunion it must have been. And I wonder if this isn't what David was talking about when he penned that 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For thou preparest the table before me. And in the end, I shall dwell in the house of my Lord forever. You know, folks, I think it will take some of us a good long time to get used to heaven. 
as you know, I've had the back surgery this past couple of years and the knee surgery. And, and sometimes I think I'm walking like an old man. And uh, But, you know, it's going to be great. Can you imagine heaven? Now, just think with me. A sunrise and a sunset swallowed up into an eternal day. No more sin. No more heartache. No more poverty. No more pain. The cough is gone. The cancer is gone. The asthma is gone. The lameness is gone. Our tears are gone. Death is gone. It will be where Jesus is. Folks, only faintly now I see him. It's the darkling veil between. But a blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen. It's all because of Calvary. And because of Calvary, I've got a new name. We've got new victories. We've got a new home. My time is up. But can I say we've got a new occupation? I'll put it real fast. Turn up your hearing aid. We'll go into overdrive. When we think of this verse, all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God. A new occupation. When we think of pillars, we think of strength and power. And that is what Christ is looking for today. He's looking in the church of Jesus Christ for pillars in the temple. Men and women who will stand. Men and women who will go the second mile. Men and women who will deny themselves and follow Jesus, no matter the cost. Are we willing to be a pillar in the temple of our God? Let me close. As a young man coming out of school, I was given the privilege of serving the Evangelical Free Church in Keene, Nebraska. It was a country church in a beautiful rural setting. And we enjoyed the ministry very much. And we still have some dear friends out there. But during those years in Keene, I was elected by the uh, Nebraska State Free Church Youth Conference as, as their chairman of the youth camp. And I would serve as that chairman along with the pastorate. Our first year as chairman of the camp was located along the banks of the Platte River near Polk, Nebraska. And we had as our conference that first year a fellow by the name of Bill Starr, who was a a tremendous youth speaker. And he came to speak. And one night after the service, we had our campfire and uh, he gave his testimony He said that during World War II, he was on an aircraft carrier. His brother was in the infantry. It was the day before Easter, and he got news that his brother was killed in action. He said, my heart was broken. There were tears. But at that same time, the captain of the ship came and said, Bill, tomorrow is Easter. Would you be willing to lead a service for the men on board ship? And Bill wanted to say, no, I... My heart is just too heavy, but, but he said, yes, I'll do that. On Easter morning, it was a beautiful day. The ship glided through the waters as Bill led the men in singing some of the old hymns of the church. And then he gave an Easter message that Christ rose from the dead. And though we sorrow, we not sorrow as those who have no hope. For Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. Though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he gave the message, 
And then he gave an invitation to any of the men. He said, fellas, we're buddies on this ship. But do you know Jesus Christ? Would you receive him today and have eternal life? The service was over. Later that day, a cry was heard. Unidentified planes are approaching. Everybody on board ship ran to their post. And then the seven planes on board were warmed up. The signal was given and they took off into the sky. And Bill said it was a solemn moment as they waited to see what would happen. And after a while, someone said, the planes are coming back. And here comes the plane, but there were only six. One had been shot down. The first five came and they landed upon that board ship. And the sixth was not there. So that seven planes circled the ship in honor of the one that was shot down. And then as he came around again, he came in to bring his play on board that ship. And then Bill explained to us that on the tail of these planes, there is a hook. And when you come down, you come down on a certain way. And there's a cable on top of that airline carrier. And that cable would hook that hook on the back of the plane and pull it to a stop. And he said as that plane came to come down, he, the pilot realized he was on the wrong angle. So he lifted the nose up to take it back into the air. But he was too close to the deck of the ship. And that cable caught that tail and it slammed it down on deck. It burst into flames. One of the boys on bottom side rushed up to see what had happened. And without looking, he ran right into the pillar. And it cut him so severely, he dropped dead. And that night by the campfire, Bill said, I literally stood in the blood of my buddy. But I was so glad that that morning I told him about Jesus. As a young preacher, I stood around that campfire and I left. And I walked across in the darkness to that little cabin on the Platte River. And all alone, I knelt by my cot on that cement floor. And I prayed, oh God, you may not be able to use me. But I'm available. I don't want anyone to point their finger and say, you never told me. I don't know, my dear people, whether that boy accepted Christ that morning. But he heard the message. And my friend, you may not know that even on your way home, you will face death. But do you know Jesus? And are you willing this morning in your heart to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life and you'll receive a new name. There'll be new victories, a new occupation as you share Christ. Father, words fail me, but I just ask, blessed Holy Spirit, will you speak to hearts? And we pray, Lord, that you will be with that one right now. 
And he says yes to Jesus Christ. And just before I ask Carol to come and we'll have communion with our heads bowed. And my friend, as we sit around the table this morning, do you know Jesus? If not, will you do it right now? Maybe you've walked with Christ many years, but in your heart right now, you too, whenever possible, share the good news of Christ. I don't know what your need is, but will you turn it over to the Lord? Father, it's our prayer. I commit each one to you. Give us victory, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.